Uh, Mike Shavinko, he is the author of a book, uh, or at least one of the authors of a book called Prehistoric and Natural Wonders of Southern Illinois. Uh, Mike, lean up close to that uh, microphone and say hello. Hello. <laughs> it's good to have you uh, with me today. Let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, beyond being an author of this book, uh, who is Mike Shavinko? Uh, so uh, I am a Southern Illinois native, born and raised in Carbondale. Uh, I Professionally, I work as a registered nurse, um, and I actually work in the hospital I was born in, Memorial Hospital of Carbondale. Okay. <laughs> um, and I am an avid outdoorist, and I've been a photographer for about 30 years. So usually in my title, you know, when I talk about the book, I say author and photographer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the book has many, many photos, and of course, we'll talk about the process of putting it all together and and give people sort of a uh, mind's eye of of what the book is. But the title really tells the story straightforward. This is a book that uh, focuses on prehistoric and natural wonders of southern Illinois. Mike, uh, do you remember a specific moment when you first became interested in things of this nature uh yeah so as i just mentioned uh i've done photography for about 30 years and uh took it in high school probably got the highest grade in the class and uh you know my family on my mother's side is also very into um photography and it was all film based back then because this was in the mid 90s yeah and then college happened, and the digital evolution started to happen. Um, so I jumped on that bandwagon for about 10 years. But I always had this fantasy of creating my own darkroom in my basement and getting back into, you know, quote-unquote, analog photography or film-based. Sure. So uh, I have appreciation for that because my mother used to develop film in the bathroom yeah, yeah. at home yeah. and would, you know, have those trays with the um, red liquid in it and... You know, there'd always be uh, a significant uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth if somebody would you know, walk in there and turn on the light uh, at the wrong time. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, my, I, my I digress. My family knew better. Yeah. And our house, you know, we've got this great basement with this ideal spot that's like locked, you know, off in the corner where mm-hmm. I can set up all that stuff. And But um, anyway, so about 13 years ago in my mid-30s, I was kind of in a position in life where, you know, I had a good job, had little kids, and just, you know, I, I, for whatever reason at that time, was starting to get back into hiking, and it just, like, a magic moment happened, and I'm like, okay, I'm getting back into film photography. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the major components of this book is a topic that a lot of Southern Illinoisans don't really know exists within the boundaries of our nice little air part of the state here. Yeah. Um, and that is prehistoric Native American rock art or petroglyphs. I had first heard of these uh, in my college years, but, you know, these things are very hard to learn about. They're few and far between, and they're oftentimes very well hidden, and it can be at times kind of treacherous to access some of these places. Um, so, you know, I learned of a particular site in my early twenties or whatever, made a few futile attempts to find it, 
never did, kind of gave up, but, you know, always had that in the back of my head too. So it's like, I got back into hiking, I got back into film photography, and my interest in this just all sort of like... Um, like Sprung like, forth from yeah, there. Yeah, like, like the moon and the star and the, yeah. you know everything just aligned perfectly, and I just jumped foot first into it. And my original foray into photographing the, this prehistoric rock art was using uh, film. I, I actually used large format, 4x5 you know, field camera work, and um, created, you know, over a couple of years of photographing a lot of these sites, uh, some beautiful silver gelatin uh, analog-based um, um, photographs. Mm -hmm. And I made an exhibit out of it that kind of toured around a little bit. So on the front cover of the book, there is a photo of a Thunderbird, for lack of a better description. And, uh, I, of course, one thing I want to say as a part of this uh, interview, we're not going to be discussing specific locations about where, you know, various things are because some of them are on private property. Uh, there's a desire to want to make sure that uh, folks that are, that, you know, vandals, I suppose, don't uh, want to uh, damage them or, or something along those lines. So I won't be asking you, you know, if you go down County Road X, uh, 100 yards here, uh you know, where can you find these? But some of the things in the book, I think, may be uh, fairly already well-known where they are anyway. Is there any of the uh, rock art that is just everybody already knows where it is? Well, okay, so so the exception to that rule, and, and, and the, this image on the cover of the Thunderbird is part of this exception, mm -hmm. there are two sites in Illinois, and they both happen to be in southern Illinois, that are open to the public. They have, you know, they're managed by the state. They have trails to them. So I'm more than happy. I mean, I'll tell you exactly where those are. So what are what are those? Uh, so you have Piney Creek Ravine, which is just on the uh, Jackson County, Randolph County border. Um, you take, you know, Highway 3 North to Hog Hill Road to Piney Creek Road, and that basically gets you to the parking area. Yeah. And then it's just a hike into the ravine, and there's actual signage that, you know, kind of points you the direction to where the rock art is. And the other site, which is uh, where this Thunderbird comes from, is Millstone Bluff over east of, kind of northeast of Vianna, probably 15 minutes. Uh-huh. And these particular uh, carvings, the Thunderbird itself, I assume, uh, was used in some sort of religious practice, or do we know? Uh, so, the... It, now make sure you lean close to the microphone so we hear you well. So, it's... Nobody knows much of anything about these, which is part of their appeal to me. Uh -huh. They're just so enigmatic. Some people liken them to prehistoric graffiti, which, I mean, that's generally, you know, accepted as not being the case. Um, but you find these associated with cemeteries. You find them in caves, which can be, you know, thought of as, the, you know, they marked it for a different application. Yeah. And some of the sites do appear to be just specifically ceremonial. Mm -hmm. So they were marking these rocks for a variety of reasons. And when I look at something like these, I mean, these would have taken a considerable amount of time, some of them, to to make. I mean, especially yeah. considering that some of these have been weathered for years and likely are not exactly as they were the day they were completed yes absolutely so can you just talk a little bit about like when somebody sees a, a petroglyph uh this thunderbird or whatever 
Um, is there any way to know, was this done by multitudes of people over a period of years, a, a single person? Do you have any theories about that? Well, okay, so, you know, in my adventures and learning about these and exploring, I have developed a, a network of, of friends uh, who are, you know, professional archaeologists. And um, one of the premier archaeologists in Illinois uh, when it comes to rock art, his thinking is several of these sites were visited over the course of millennia. I see. So, you know, um, like Piney Creek Ravine, for example, there are the majority of the carvings were created, you know, maybe 2000 years ago. But then there's sort of a gap in time. And then there's a few more that were later added about a thousand years ago, which is, you know, according to archaeologists, two different prehistoric cultures. Mm -hmm. So, yes. And there are ideas that, you know, I mean, nothing was written, nothing, you know, these markings are all people had to go by. So it, it's, it can be reasonably speculated that the later cultures stumbled upon some of these carvings sure. and said, oh, my gosh, these were left. This is a special place. These were left by the gods. Mm-hmm. We need to mark this spot. Sure. So. Mike Shervinko is our guest in the studio today. He has a book called The uh, Prehistoric and Natural Wonders of Southern Illinois. Uh, you have a couple of co-authors listed on the front of the book. I think it's always appropriate to talk about how other important uh, folks played a role in making it happen. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, uh, my good friend Steve Bowles and my other good friend uh, Mark Allen Motzinger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Bowles is actually, he, he lives up in Waterloo, and he is a senior research archaeologist with the Illinois, Illinois State Archaeological Society, or Association, I'm sorry. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his office is actually based about a mile from the Cahokia Mounds, which, you know, may or may not know is the largest prehistoric city in North America. And it's just across, you know, the river from St. Sure. Louis. And then um, Mark Motzinger lives uh, over on the east side of southern Illinois. He's kind of in Garden of the Gods country. And some of the listeners here may know who he is. Um, he's a well-known and well-respected teacher. Uh, he was actually awarded Teacher of the Year at one point in his career. Mm-hmm. And he just is a passionate local historian. He's on the tourism board, and he's the president of the Saline County Historical Society. He's a wealth of knowledge. They both are. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting about this book, and after we have this conversation, we'll take the first break of the day and come back and continue our conversation with Mike. Um, this includes... Not only just, you know, the rock art, there's uh, photographs in this book about the various mounds that are around southern Illinois, flowers, trees. He's going to have a section on the Giant City Lodge. And so uh, when you say prehistoric um, and natural wonders of southern Illinois, um, it's really quite comprehensive in the way that you approached it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it's it's. I deliberately broke the book into two sections, the section, the first section being the, the prehistoric mm-hmm. content, and then the second section, the natural content. And, you know, I mean, to me, the natural section can, in a lot of ways, is just as impressive as the prehistoric, but more people already know that stuff. So it's kind of sadly, overwhelmingly, people are more drawn to the prehistoric stuff because it's just more mind blowing to them. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, 
in addition to what you mentioned, I spend a good deal of time um, kind of delving into the ancient bald cypresses that are found in southern Illinois. And, you know, I have some friends who are botanists. And, um, I mean, some of these trees are well over a thousand years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty astonishing in and of itself. Yeah. And in, um, in my personal view, you know, this isn't, you know, official or anything, but I am of the impression, and I've done some, you know, anecdotal research on my own, that these oldest cypress trees in southern Illinois are not only the oldest trees in Illinois, but also probably the oldest trees in the whole Midwest. Really? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've looked at oldest trees in Missouri, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, I mean, everywhere, and by a margin. I mean, we're talking these trees are double the age of the oldest trees in other states. And you talk about them in the book, uh, Prehistoric and Natural Wonders of Southern Illinois. We're going to go ahead and take the first break of the day, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with uh, Mike Shervinko, the author of this wonderful volume. Uh, Mike, the photography in this book is impressive. Um, It takes a certain talent and eye and patience uh, to photograph these sorts of things because the lighting has to be right. Uh, I'd say that probably the early uh, spring and winter time is probably the best time uh, because of of a variety of different reasons. So just talk to me a little bit. I mean, I don't know how many photos there are in this book. There has to be hundreds. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So in total, you know, there's about 25 photos in the book that aren't mine, and they're of things that uh, I wanted to include, but I just didn't have a photo of myself. So other people, you know, but there's credit, you know, assigned to those. So it's clear. But um, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, I have spent the past 13 years really, you know, trying to master my approach to photing, in particular, the prehistoric rock art. And it's no easy feat to do in a pleasing way. Um, the the in the olden days um, they would chalk these things in, or you know, use other things to make them stand out, and that's now frowned upon because it just accelerates you know the demise of the images and right. promotes their erosion and whatnot. So we certainly want, don't want to do anything that's going to harm you know the, these works of art. Um, the other cheap and easy way to do it is to use artificial lighting because then you can just use a flash to side light it or whatever. But it was always my vision to capture these as spectacularly under natural circumstances as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wanted to experience them in the way you know our prehistoric inhabitants did. And I mean, it is very polarizing the difference in how a lot of these images look under typical conditions versus perfect conditions. And it's interesting because to see these at their best, sometimes it's literally a few minutes a day for about a month out of the year under perfectly clear skies. Right. And, and, and you do have to watch the position of the sun, the time of day, because you're really depending on that side angle to cast shadows and that's really what makes the image jump out is you're seeing sh- the shadows of the image. Exactly. Um, going back to Piney Creek real quick, there's actually, uh, it's one of the 
largest petroglyphs in the state and it's of this really cool kind of warrior figure with like a v-shaped headdress and it's got its arms extended and in its left arm it has this trident with these huge spear tips um and despite being so big it's very shallowly you know it's, it's engraved yeah 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 so under normal conditions it's pretty hard to see but under ideal conditions it's breathtaking and there have been a few times where i've been there photographing and and there are instances where where kind of more cloudy conditions are favorable especially when they're paintings um too much sun kind of washes the paints out so you want some overcast but anyway so i've been there and Literally, I've been in front of this thing, and the clouds have parted sort of in front of my eyes, and the sun happened to be in that magic spot, mm-hmm. and it literally just sort of appears from nowhere. And, I mean, it'll give you goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing. It's one of the coolest experiences I think you can have outdoors in southern Illinois. <laughs> yes, and, you know, one of the other things that's in the books uh, that I may have mentioned earlier, and uh, I was looking at one photo that is uh, very familiar to people of Jackson County, is the uh, Austin Hollow Mound, which is just right off of Route 3. Yep. And so it's just right there, and everybody notices it. I mean, if you grow up in this area at all, uh, you see that. But there are many of those types of mounds that you photographed in this book uh, as well and there's background on on those features can you talk about that a little bit sure sure so actually the first two chapters of the book are sort of dedicated to this the entirety of the first chapter actually uh is is on the cahokia mounds because it was such a significant um establishment and i mean because of of how influential it was I wanted to include it uh, to sort of tie in some of its influence that I have observed in some of the features down here. Yeah. Um, So there's an entire chapter dedicated to that. And then, you know, as you alluded to, I mean, gosh, before farming practices um, of, of the last century really took off, there were hundreds and hundreds of these mounds dotting the landscape all along the Mississippi floodplain into the Ohio floodplain into the Wabash floodplain. And in the book, I try to include mounds that still exist from sort of all over Southern Illinois. So it's, you know, I try to not to just favor the west sure. side of the Shawnee. Um, but the, that one that you mentioned off of Highway 3 is it's, it's beautiful. I mean, the, the condition of it, the preservation of it is outstanding. It's a great and, feature. And, of course, I'm sure there are listeners saying, yeah, you know, I've driven past that thing all, all these years and I've noticed it, but why were they built? Uh, they were built for a variety of reasons. Um, and and the, the, the shape of the mound will oftentimes dictate its use. Mm-hmm. Um, flat top mounds usually had structures on them, and those were built for elite class, you know, because they wanted to appear closer to the gods and rule from above. And, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Cahokia Mounds, but I Monk's, have. Monk's Mound is the largest earthen mound in the Americas. And, uh, you know, obviously the ruler lived ruled from atop that. Sure. Um, and that's... 100 feet tall <laughs> but um a lot of the other mounds especially like the conical mounds are uh, burial they're literally just like cemeteries yeah so in the studio with us is mike shervinko how can people get a copy of this book mike 
Uh, there's a couple of avenues that you can go through. Uh, you can order it straight from Amazon by just Google or not Googling in the search bar on Amazon, typing in my name or the title of the book. Um, it's available at a few outlets in Carbondale, including the co-op and Confluence Books. Uh, you can get it from the McCanda Trading Company and the Giant City Lodge. And the last way uh, that you can get it, especially if you want a signed copy, is just to reach out to me personally, just through like Facebook Messenger, or it's probably the most convenient for people. Mike Shervinko is with us today. His uh, last name, C-H-E-R-V-I-N-K-O. Uh, Mike, I want to go to the back of the book now and uh, talk about frost flowers. You talk about photography and patience and the willingness to go uh, where you need to go to capture an image, uh, you know, sort of regardless of the condition. There's several photos in here. I'm sure that there are probably people uh, listening who are saying, uh, I've never even heard of what a frost flower is. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a little magic jewel of nature. So these are, they're, they're actually not flowers. They're sort of natural ice sculptures. Mm -hmm. And they only form with very, a, a very select type of plant. Um, there's like three or four species in the world, I think, that these things can sort of, you know, spew from. Um, and it just so happens that we have a couple of those species that grow native in southern Illinois. Um, it's, it's, it's this kind of beautiful thing where you have freezing temperatures in the air, but the ground is still thaw. So it's cold, but it hasn't been cold long enough that the ground is frozen yet. So the top of the plant has died back and is withered beneath the ground. The roots are still active, trying to pump water up to the top because they haven't gone dormant yet. Mm hmm. So this, you know, tiny minuscule bits of water vapor that get sent up to the um, dead portion of the plant, that ends up freezing. And, you know, when water freezes, it expands. So when it expands, it literally creates micro fractures in the withered parts. And that water vapor then starts to spew out and it freezes instantly. So it's this sort of conveyor belt of ice being spewed in the form of water vapor, you know, pulled up from the roots. It's the and natural it, way of like a fountain that's running in the wintertime yeah, in a park. Yeah, but, but it's freezing instantaneously. So, you know, it just develops into these convoluted, eccentric, beautiful forms. And, you know, the, the petals, you know, I see you have the picture there where I, I took the picture through one of the petals. Yeah. I mean, they're thinner than your pinky nail yes and because of that these things are very um ephemeral meaning there were times where when i was photographing them you know i was very close to them the breath the heat from the breath of my for the heat from my breathing was melting them right so the sun touches them they're gone <laughs> yeah they're well they're very interesting and i think that uh, that is just one more yeah. example of something in the book that people would find interesting there's uh, waterfalls in here you've got a section about popular hikes uh, you've got a section in here about cave in rock you've got uh, the list goes on and on we talked about the the cypress trees uh, the, the water tupelo we talk there's a section in here about uh, various flowers uh, in you know beautiful bloom and and wildlife it's just a really well done book that captures exactly what the title says prehistoric and natural wonders of 
of Southern Illinois. And uh, Mike Shervinko has been our guest in the studio. Mike, um, leave it here. Uh, what is your viewpoint on the book um, at this point when you pick it up and look at it? Are you satisfied with it? Is there something you wish you would have done differently? Uh, what are your thoughts? What, how do you feel about it? <laughs> so it's interesting you asked that. So the way that I published this, I actually, it was released a little prematurely in the very beginning. And if there's any listeners who got an early copy, sorry. (laughs) But there actually were still a few little typos and a few little things that I was like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. But the way that I created this book, I... And to this day, I still can like edit things or change things on the fly. So, I mean, if anyone reads it and finds a legitimate boo-boo, please let me know (laughs) because I will correct it. Yeah. So now when I read it, I mean, I... Maybe someone smarter could do something better, but this is as perfect a thing as I could create. I mean, this is my heart and soul, so... Great. Yep. Well, well, Mike, we appreciate you coming by and talking with us about it. We really do. Well, I appreciate you having me here. Prehistoric and national uh, natural wonders of Southern Illinois. Our guest in the studio, Mike Shervinko. We'll be back with more right after this.